Welcome to Current Radio's Technology Station. Please enjoy today's selection of technology news. Let's dive into the recent news about Activision Blizzard. They've settled with California's Civil Rights Department after a lawsuit alleging gender discrimination, pay inequities, and a culture of sexual harassment. The settlement is... Wait, this is the same Activision Blizzard behind Call of Duty and World of Warcraft, right? Exactly, Celeste. They've agreed to pay $54 million and committed to implementing measures to ensure fair pay and equitable promotions. Most of the funds will compensate workers, particularly women who were employed or contracted with the company between 2015 and 2020. However... But it's not a done deal yet, right? This settlement still needs court approval. Right, Celeste. And while we're still waiting on the final details, Kevin Kish, the director of California's Civil Rights Department, has called it a major step forward. Now, it's interesting to note that... This is the same department that changed its name last year from the Department of Fair Employment and Housing, right? They're the ones who initially filed the lawsuit. Correct, Celeste. They allege that Activision Blizzard violated the state's Equal Pay Act and Fair Employment and Housing Act. But as part of the settlement, the department will withdraw these allegations. They've stated that no court or independent investigation has substantiated any claims of systemic or widespread sexual harassment at Activision Blizzard. So what about the company's board, executives, or its CEO, Bobby Kotick? The settlement states that the investigation didn't produce evidence of illegal behavior on their part. However, this isn't the first time Activision Blizzard has faced legal issues this year. They agreed to a $35 million settlement with the SEC over failure to implement necessary controls to collect and review complaints about workplace misconduct, which was kept from investors. This has led to quite a tumultuous period for the company, hasn't it? Employee walkouts, share price instability, and ongoing concerns about a toxic workplace culture. Indeed, Celeste. All these events paved the way for Microsoft to acquire the company in a $68.7 billion deal. And let's not forget, Bobby Kotick, Activision Blizzard's CEO who's been at the center of this controversy, is set to leave the company at the end of the year. It's been quite a roller coaster for Activision Blizzard. It'll be interesting to see how these developments impact the company moving forward. From one tech giant to another, let's shift our focus to Google. They're also in the spotlight for a massive settlement, but this one has a different twist. It's all about Google's monopoly over app distribution on Android. Let's get into the details. So, Celeste, Google's finally making public the details of a settlement reached back in September, and it's a hefty one, $700 million. This is in response to a class action lawsuit filed by U.S. states and consumers, initially lodged in 2021. Right, James. The crux of the complaint was Google's monopoly over app distribution on Android through the Play Store. But as part of the settlement, Google's now expanding its user choice billing program. Developers will be able to show different costs of a purchase in the app based on the billing method chosen by the customer. That's a significant shift. And it's not the only one. Google's also simplifying the process of sideloading apps. Currently, users see a warning pop-up when they attempt to sideload an app, which then leads them to a settings screen to install apps from unknown sources. Google will now combine both those screens, right? But they're still going to maintain this flow for at least five years without altering it, as per the agreement. 
Exactly. And while Google emphasizes the importance of informing users about the potential risks of sideloading, they're also updating the language used to convey these risks. Wilson White, VP of Government Affairs and Public Policy at Google, had something to say about this. I read his statement. He mentioned that they're simplifying the sideloading process and updating the language that informs users about potential risks of downloading apps directly from the web for the first time. Right. And Google's also making strides with Android 14, simplifying the app upgrade process and giving more controls for third-party app stores via an API. This all comes on the heels of their antitrust battle with Epic, I assume you're referring to? Google plans to appeal the verdict, and they made it clear in their blog post that the case is far from over. Indeed. The trial revealed some interesting deals, like the one with Spotify, which paid no commission on Play Store for in-app purchases. And it seems that even a 4% discount offered through the user choice billing isn't enough for developers to switch to other operators. Because developers still have to pay fees to those processors, which might be more than the 4% Google is offering. On the flip side, Corey Wright, vice president of public policy at Epic Games, had a strong reaction to Google's settlement. She did indeed. Wright claimed that this payment will bring no true relief to consumers and that they will continue to overpay for digital goods due to Google's imposition of super competitive fees. She also criticized the restrictions on developers and the lack of creative freedom over their payment systems. Epic's not backing down, it seems. They're planning to hunt for meaningful remedies to truly open up the Android ecosystem. It's going to be interesting to see how this develops. No doubt about that, Celeste. This is a landmark moment in the tech world, and the ripple effects of this settlement could have far-reaching implications. In other tech-related legal news, we're shifting gears from Google's antitrust battles to a major scandal in the electric vehicle industry. This next story involves soaring stock prices, plummeting accusations of fraud, and a hefty sentence for the founder of a once-promising startup. Let's dive into the recent sentencing of Trevor Milton, founder and ex-CEO of electric truck startup Nikola. A real roller coaster ride, this one, Celeste. Absolutely, James. From soaring stock prices to plummeting accusations of fraud, it's been a whirlwind, so he's got four years in prison for securities fraud, right? Yes, that's right. And a $1 million fine, too. This comes after a series of delays, during which Milton remained free under a $100 million bond. And it seems he's not going down without a fight. He's expected to appeal. And this sentencing wasn't without its drama. Milton made a plea for leniency, didn't he? Indeed, he did. He claimed that he stepped down from the CEO role at Nikola, not due to fraud allegations, but to support his wife during a serious illness. A rather emotional plea, but... But the crux of the matter is that he was found guilty of securities fraud and wire fraud, right? He was accused of lying to investors about Nikola's electric trucks to inflate stock prices. Exactly, Celeste. His defense attorneys argued that he wasn't trying to defraud investors, but rather wanted to be admired like Elon Musk. Prosecutors, however pushed back, saying he lied repeatedly and targeted retail investors. So he could have faced up to 60 years in prison, but got four. And the government wanted a $5 million fine, but he got $1 million. There's also the matter of restitution to investors, which is yet to be determined. Right. And let's not forget about the controversy around the Nikola marketing video, showing a truck seemingly driving on its own power. Turns out, 
it was just rolling down a hill. This video was a key part of the accusations against Milton and, and that led to him stepping down in 2020, right? After a report called Nicola a fraud. Correct. The company ended up paying a hefty $125 million penalty in a settlement with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. Nicola's stock took a serious hit, causing major losses for investors and the company. And then there's the $165 million Milton has to pay back to Nicola, as ordered by an arbitration panel. His lawyers maintain he never intended to defraud investors, attributing any misstatements to optimism and belief in the company. Indeed, they've even suggested he should get probation, partly to care for his sick wife. It's a complex case and one of a few high-profile instances involving tech founders. Elizabeth Holmes of Theranos and Sam Bankman-Fried of FTX and Alameda Research being other notable examples. It's a stark reminder of the scrutiny and accountability in the tech industry. We'll keep our listeners updated as this story continues to develop. From the courtroom to the cutting edge of technology, let's pivot now to a different kind of oversight. This time, it's in the realm of artificial intelligence. As the tech industry continues to innovate, it's increasingly important to ensure that these advancements are safe and beneficial for everyone. One company taking this responsibility seriously is OpenAI, who are stepping up their safety measures in a big way. Getting into the thick of it, OpenAI is stepping up its safety game, Celeste. They're setting up a safety advisory group to oversee technical teams and give advice to the leadership. Even the board now has veto power. Hold on, James. Are you saying the safety advisory group is going to be like a watchdog for AI development? Exactly, Celeste. They're taking the threat of harmful AI seriously. And this isn't just a response to the recent leadership drama, but it's also about dealing with the constant evolution of AI risk factors. So it's like they're trying to prevent any potential catastrophe that might come from their AI models. But what exactly do they mean by catastrophic risk? It sounds quite... Dramatic? Well, they're talking about risks that could cause economic damages in the hundreds of billions, or even worse, severe harm or death to many individuals. They're even including existential risk. Think rise of the machines type stuff. That's definitely intense, but how are they planning to manage these risks? They've got different teams for different stages of AI development. Safety systems for in-production models, preparedness for frontier models, and super-alignment for theoretical boundaries of superintelligent models. So, they're covering all bases, but how do they categorize these risks? Well, they've got four risk categories, cybersecurity, persuasion, model autonomy, and CBRN, which stands for chemical, biological, radiological, and nuclear threats. They've got a rubric to rate each model on these categories, and if a model poses a high risk, it won't be deployed. If it poses any critical risks, it won't be developed further. Sounds like they've really thought this through, but who's going to be making these evaluations and recommendations, the people building these models? Good point, Celeste. That's where the safety advisory group comes in. They'll review the technical reports and make recommendations from a higher vantage point. The idea is to catch unknown unknowns. These recommendations will then go to the board and leadership who will make the final decision. But the board can reverse that decision if they feel it's necessary. So the board has the final say, but how transparent is this process going to be? Will we even know if a high-risk product gets greenlit? That's a valid concern, Celeste. 
OpenAI has promised to get audits from independent third parties, but it remains to be seen how transparent these processes will actually be. And if a model is deemed too risky, we don't know yet whether OpenAI will continue to be as open about it as they have been in the past. Well, it definitely seems like OpenAI is taking a proactive approach to AI safety. It'll be interesting to see how these new measures pan out.